Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home sympathy. Arnas, Sayadar, and Sayadin. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. Hello, Scoogie, and welcome to another episode of Phantology. This is your host, Ryan, and I am joined today with my fellow long-haired member of Phantology, Jake. Welcome, Jake. Uh, thank you, Ryan. Um, let it be known that Ryan's hair is looking extra magnificent and glorious today. Uh, Ryan, do tell. What is your, uh, what's your process there? Well, process is actually probably a bit taboo in the hair community. I use shampoo, but not conditioner. Oh, okay. Okay. Because yeah. Because I felt like my hair was just getting too greasy. Mm, okay. Okay. Well, um, now that we've got that to the side, <laughs> <laughs> well, I still haven't even told people what we're going to talk about today. That's true. Yeah. You hinted with the Scoogie. Yeah, I, I did hint with the Scoogie. And if you know what Scoogie means, you've, probably already read this book yeah we are talking about book five of the red rising saga also known as dark age and dark age. boy this was a this was a, a a big one this was a huge ride like yep. i i don't want to like jump the gun but i will go on record right now that it is the best red rising book i have ever read wow yeah, I think I think easily, that's a, easily, easily, and easily, and and that's not to say you didn't enjoy the other Red Rising books, right? Yeah, I mean, I I really enjoyed the first three when I first read them. Didn't enjoy them as much on a second read through, and I think a lot of that had to do with like having already read it. But this is again first time read through, way 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 better than book four. Book four Iron Gold was a little bit of a slog. A little bit. Yeah, I, I think we both agreed on that. It was it was probably the weakest point of Red Rising for, yeah. for me, at least. So I agree. it was a lot of setup. The ending of Iron Gold was pretty good. So, I mean, do you think do you think Dark Age validates the slowness and the setup of Iron Gold? I think it redeems it. I don't know if it validates it. Because okay. I don't think we needed the slowness that was in Iron Gold to achieve what we achieved in okay. Dark Age. Um, but I think it redeems it. I It seems like Pierce Brown probably got some notes from his editor publishers of ways to um, improve. And I think he must have taken that advice and dialed it up to 11 and just <laughs> killed it. So Yeah. Well... Really quickly, let's start talking. I mean, we already started a bit. Let's continue talking about our spoiler-free thoughts on Dark Age. If you're up to this point and you haven't read the book, feel free to stay for another few minutes while we discuss it. Try and uh, give you our pros and cons, and um, maybe you can decide if, if you want to read it. Although, if you have read through Iron Gold, I I don't even think it's really a decision whether you should read Dark Age. You should just do it. Yeah, yeah, you are forced to at this point. We will force you to. It is a wild ride. There is so many ups and so many downs in this book. It's I think it's been a while since I have like felt this emotional about a book. Not that I like physically cried while reading it, but I was anxious to figure out like what was going to happen. Meaning, yeah. I, like I, I couldn't, I, I felt like I was so stunned at parts that I like wanted to stop and like think about it and give myself some time to like mentally adjust, but I couldn't because I needed to know what happened. Yeah. This is, I think just, man. I'm like overwhelmed with how great this book was. Uh, but 
I want to say the best parts of Red Rising in general is just how fast paced the plot can be. Action after action keeps you guessing what's going to happen. And I think a lot of that kind of used the crutch of a single perspective in the first series. Like you don't know what's going to happen because you're only getting one person's POV and you're not even getting all of their POV in terms of like what, like there are lots of times there would be like, pull a surprise, a sneaky one on the audience that he knew about the whole time. And I think this is like even more intense back to back because you do have those multiple points of view and they're all, you know, having their own plots that you know are conflicting. You get, you can get some of that dramatic irony and, or whatever it's called, where you know something, but you don't know if the other character knows it and like, how is it going to play out? And it just really adds to the tension and the the pacing in this is just incredible. And I think it shows how far Pierce Brown has come as an author because he maintains the pacing throughout all of these different viewpoints. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I heard it, like one of the things I've heard, I had heard as a caveat for starting the second epic saga of Red Rising is that the multiple POVs kind of bog things down. And I would disagree. I mean, maybe, maybe that was an issue in Iron Gold. I just think Iron Gold needed help with pacing in general but i think it it really like accentuates and adds to everything in uh in dark age so yeah i i think he's just again i think this is his best work of fiction i haven't read any i don't know if he has anything other than red rising that's all i've read of his but i think it's the best he's written written so far that i've read i definitely appreciate the alternative perspectives that we get especially with both darrow and lysander because yeah. I mean, they uh, not they're kind of like foils, mm-hmm. almost, and and so it, it's interesting to to see like a valid viewpoint from Lysander, you know, who's kind of on the opposite end of things as Darrow. Yeah, I was talking to a buddy at work about this. They're they're foils in that they both recognize the society needs to change and needs to be better um and they just have different you know goals for it darrow's is revolution democracy equality and lysander is let's make the golds truly like stay on top as the gods but let let's make them act as gods yeah and, they're, they're and all that entails yeah 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 shepherds is the word they use in the book which is interesting because he either like, I don't, I think you get a sense of this sometimes in his POV of the dissonance he has, um, where he doesn't, like, he doesn't want to treat Wait, the lower. Is, is this, is this spoilers for Dark Age? No, no, this, you get okay. this in, in Iron Gold as well. Okay. Like, you, right. like, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't view the lower colors as just like slaves in the same way, like the, what he would view the corrupted golds do. But at the same time, like, I don't know if he's fully come to terms with him maintaining the society status quo and how that still you need slaves to have that run so that's interesting um that's like an interesting aspect of his pov and then i think the flawed the another conflicting i guess part of his philosophy for darrow would be you know he wants this equality but at what cost you know that's the that's the moral dilemma there mm-hmm. yeah good foils for each other and and going just going along with what you said about Darrow, it's like how much is like too much to sacrifice? Yeah, and and not just not even just with lives, but with power as well. You know that was a big theme of Iron Gold. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, and within his own personal life too. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> we've talked. We've kind of raved about the things that we love about this book. I I just want to try and give as balanced a view as, as we can in our spoiler free section. Still, I I think if, if I could give maybe a downside was that the first red rising trilogy is a lot of it is, you know, Darrow just like dominating, you know? And I think that's, that's fun to read from the perspective of the protagonist is that like, you know, Darrow is like hyper competent, just amazing at flipping the shifting paradigm to kind of benefit him. So I, I think, I mean, we've already gotten a sense of the fact that Darrow isn't always on top in Iron Gold. And I think that that just kind of continues in Dark Age. So if you are a fan of 
you know, Darrow kicking butt, taking names and um, maybe not like losing, then I think this is a bit more of a balanced book that you might not like as much. Yeah. that And that honestly, during a, having done a reread, I was almost um, getting tired of Darrow always coming out on top. It was, it was losing its credibility for me. And so this was a, a welcome, a fresh take. But yeah, in order to give a more balanced take, I will say the book starts out really, like really fast paced, really heavy, and just so much going on. And then it does, I, I don't think the finale matches the first few chapters. But like, I guess part one, I think is more intense, more exciting than the finale. Not to say that the finale isn't good. It's just, it doesn't have the same amount of action while still having like really heavy moments and lots of like important things that happen. And also I would say that without going into spoilers, there's some plot, like some plot lines for specific characters who have big things happen that are kind of then just like resolved in a way that isn't very satisfying. Things that I thought would continue to be a conflict or an issue for a longer period resolve faster than I would have liked. So I, it's not like a perfect book in any means. And I was a little disappointed with some of that. And <laughs> again, I, I'm just thinking <laughs> some critiques. I'm not trying to be a nitpicky, but other things that came to mind is, and again, this is something that is uh, kind of more in line with Red Rising in general, is I did feel like some points of conflict in this book kind of came out of nowhere and not came out of nowhere like you're surprised by them, but in ways that you couldn't have ever predicted, like the introduced elements that you that weren't a thing before. And then all of a sudden they were a big deal. That being said, I think it was done well where it was exciting. Um, and like, instead of, it's the difference of instead of introducing something as an idea, a few books back and building, and then all of a sudden they are a big part of the conflict. It's introducing the idea as they become part of the conflict, just a different, uh, style of pacing i guess yeah and i i I think i understand where you're coming from i i do think that like if you view the um if you view iron gold as like a prequel and then dark age as like the first book in a new trilogy i think it might make some sense to like be introducing more new elements to the story but I don't know, that might not excuse yeah. it entirely or make, make it totally better. I, I think this is a flaw of Red Rising as a saga in general. And I, I, I can't remember if I mentioned this in a podcast before. I've mentioned it to, I think, you and other that buddy at work who's read it. Red Riding's greatest moments are how fast-paced they are and how like things come out of nowhere. It's not good at something that like George R. R. Martin or uh, Robert Jordan or Brandon Sanderson would do where they kind of lay this foundation and lots of ideas. And then they slowly build towards something in a way where you reread and you're like, Oh, that's where that first clue that this thing was going to happen was. And then you like, you, it doesn't have that same build. I, it makes me think of game of Thrones where so many things are laid down ahead of time that there's so much like theory crafting as to what's going to happen because all these different things could play into it. Whereas Red Rising, you don't have that, right? It's just things are basically happen as they're introduced. And I don't know if it could maintain its like defining feature of being so fast paced while also building in that same way. So it might just be a trade-off there. Yeah, I, I was going to say something along those lines. So that's, I mean, and that's nothing new to this book. You know, that's something that I feel like has been present in Red Rising. Let's go ahead and jump into spoilers. And the way that I think we should do this is maybe let's talk about, I guess, like major plot points that that we liked. And then we can go through viewpoint. Should we uh, give it a rating first? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I, um, out of 10, I would probably give this book an eight and a half. It was fast paced, gripping, couldn't put it down, emotional. I, but me personally, I love Darrow coming out on top and, and kind of dominating. And there was just a lot of him, you know, being down this book, which, which was, 
which was kind of hard for me to read. But I, I mean, you can't really have one without the other. And we can disagree on the amounts of each, but yeah, I think that this was a little bit more balanced against Darrow than I think I would prefer. Yeah, I, th- I think an eight and a half, maybe a nine for me is where I'd place it. Along those same lines, obviously we differ with our um, like what we want to see from Darrow, but I will say the the victories and coming out on top that Darrow does have in this book, I feel like are earned more. Like they're he earned them more than he has in previous books. Like he fought for everything like tooth and nail, and it was good. It was like I enjoyed seeing that. Yeah, it, and it it is nice to see you know how he reacts like being down for like an extended period of time and how he deals with defeat, like significant defeat. I mean, at the end of this book, um, so now, now we're going into spoilers, spoiler like town. spoilers, um, Major. but at the end of this book, you know, his whole army is basically routed and killed. And he basically, he escapes, you know, thanks to Cassius, you know, saving him and just like, I don't know, like 20, 30, 40 something around that like people everybody else is like killed and i guess the in the first trilogy the closest point i can really think of to that is the gala where fitchner were basically fitchner is beheaded or his head is presented all of darrow's yeah. like closest allies like lorna arcos are are killed and oh man what's the roke roke betrays him yeah that, that was like you know a similarly down point for um darrow yeah i mean and along the same lives like lines his son is still gone taken disappeared no idea what the status of that is and then his wife is most likely dead you know mm-hmm. from what he can tell and the very republic he's fighting for is in shambles you know like yeah. not only does not only does he not have the support he would need from it it's like what are you fighting for anymore you know mm-hmm. and Severo is in the clutches when, of yeah the abomination yeah which, does he know that Severo is captured well yeah he knows that Severo is captured uh, does he or maybe Cassius told it I don't know if he knows about the abomination but he I think when he found out about the revolution they also said that Severo and his howlers had been captured but i could be wrong on that well so i looked up a list of all of the uh like significant character deaths in this story and there are a lot a lot that hit really hard some of the significant ones are the most significant ones i would say are dancer dancer uh, yeah daxo Freyhild is like kind of a a big character in this book. Yeah. Who was then killed. Ulysses was, it wasn't a big character, but it was. It was a big death, though. It was a big death. It was really sad. Sephi. Sephi. Ephraim. Yeah. Alexander. How Arcos. Those were all just, you know. Yeah. Those all like hit really hard to me. Yeah, I, 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 this, I, I think this book is kind of like the name says it all, right? It's a dark age, and I think we see that for it's it's dark for everyone, just with all this war. Um, like Lysander has a lot of down moments, like we said, Lysander and Darrow are kind of foils. So it's like when Lysander's down, Darrow's up, and when Darrow's down, Lysander's up. I love the uh, the inner conflict of Lysander, and I don't know how aware of it he is. And I think that's uh, a testament to good writing of his character, where he like he has this idealized view of what the society could be, and that that's what he's striving for, while also like not recognizing, seemingly not recognizing that the critiques of the society has like permeate more than just how the golds act. You know, like the very structures at fault, like his like love hate relationship with Octavia and um, his like internal conflict with the morals that Cassius taught him and how like when he saw Cassius on the battlefield, he was just so happy he was alive. 
even though mm-hmm. like he knows that Cassius is saving Darrow and you know like the revelation at the end of Calendora Kalend- telling him about his parents it's like he goes back and forth like oh there's so many times in this book you're like I think he's gonna flip right here like he's flipping yeah and then he doesn't and he like it but and you get why he doesn't you know he's like found a second wind and like yeah it's it's done so well it's it's interesting because when you say that I feel like up to this point he he kind of started out in the image of Cassius a little bit like this yeah you know like honorable like warrior kind of trying to do like what's best and I feel like towards the end of Iron Gold and throughout this book he's been like almost kind of going back more towards the image of Octavia you know he like recognizes there are sacrifices that he needs to make to achieve his goals yeah he like he has that moment I'm probably butchering this where he's like there is no honorable dishonorable it's just doing what's necessary mm-hmm. kind of I, I i don't know if that's when he's in the cave or just before after that i don't know but it's but around that time where he has that revelation he's like that's not really a thing it's just well, i guess what what he thinks is right and then making sure that happens you know yeah so let, let's talk a little bit more about uh lysander were you at all like surprised when seraphina died with the storm god yeah or yeah. was no it wasn't the was it the storm god i thought it she was like shot with like a sniper or something seraphina was the other rim lord person yeah that he came with he came with the brother and the sister seraphina yeah. and she was um, the one who pretended to seduce him and the or tried like pretended to be into him and iron gold in order to yeah i thought ownership. i mean maybe that that's why they were um Maybe that's why I was so surprised. I thought Serafina was going to be like this major romance interest between like mm. for Lysander. Yeah, I I thought that was kind of over. Like in my in my view, she like it was clear she had just used him for what she needed. And what she really wanted was just the war. And I thought I thought when the storm gods deactivated, the actual storm god itself like fell through her. Like I thought that was what had happened. But I could be wrong. But yeah, that was that was shocking. <laughs> yeah it's yeah it, anyways it that was that was mind-blowing to me i thought she was gonna have a much larger yeah role to play so in i mean in general when we talked about lysander in iron gold he was like one of the high points of the book and not that he's yeah. like not a high point but at the end of this book i don't like lysander yeah I still like him as a character. Like he's an interesting, obviously, character to read. I like him as a person still too. And I I think okay. I think he still thinks what he's doing is the best thing. And I he's just not like, in my opinion, not <laughs> well informed. Um and I and I think he's not realizing like he had that moment of clarity, the chapter, it's the uh the inner mind or whatever, the mind's eye, which that's mm-hmm. another little gripe I have with this book. Like he felt, he felt too lifted out of Dune to me. He's like a Paul Atreides figure. Okay. And like the mind's eye is the Benny Gesserit um, training. And yeah, I could definitely see that. I felt like that was too, too much of a copy rather than an inspiration at times. But, um, um, and then, yeah. And just being like a leader that is like, you know, problematic, but I thought like at that moment he had that clarity and I, I thought he was going to be like more on top. And then it's interesting how at the end of the book, it makes, I feel like he's in over his head and doesn't realize it with Atalantia and yeah. everything. Like, I think in his mind, he's like, I've got this under control. I manipulated everything to be where I want it to be. But I don't think he thought that through well enough, especially with the revelation that Calendora provided. And then also I think seeing Cassius al- is alive is a big chink in his uh, mm-hmm. in his armor, and I I could see that turning him, helping him flip faster, or maybe making him like dig in more and go like uh, Anakin when when Obi Wan and Padme walk out of the ship. Yeah, so I I, I like him. I think I think I, I agree. Yeah. I think he's an interesting character, but I was maybe it's at the end where he kills Alexander out Arcos. 
yeah that was, was like alexander is kind of like another character that darrow has sort of been working from like you know alexander is kind of like somebody who he he shares like a lot of the traditional gold values but i think he follows darrow because darrow is like a strong leader but I, I I see like he he kind of like starts to transform into this this into more than that where he, he like yeah. stays behind to save all of these people like from the the city that's flooding from the storm god and then he's following in love with Darrow's is, is it his niece yeah um, his niece yeah and who's who's a red and so I was like wow this is gonna be like a really interesting character and then just like that. Lysander's like Lysander kills him so my thoughts on that are yeah Alexander's awesome I think interestingly enough Lysander failed to recognize that Alexander is the gold that the gold ideal he the idea of the gold that he idealizes where yeah like he is he is stronger he is like more capable in all these ways and he uses it just to help other people you know like he is he is like what Lysander wants golds to be and then he kills him and but I don't fault Lysander for doing that because imagine if Darrow were in that position where he recognized another gold was honorable to a degree he would still kill them you know he'd be like they need to die in order for my goals what I think is best for humanity to go through with like I feel like I feel like that was a Darrow moment of Lysander like that's exactly how Darrow would have reacted in that I moment. I don't know because I feel like Darrow would try to flip if he if he recognized there was a gold who had like that much good in them I feel like Darrow would do everything he could to try and flip that gold to his side I I mean I guess it depends on how like Lysander didn't recognize that really he just saw Alexander as a zealot you know I mean well did did he I mean he spent that time with Alexander like being like captured by yeah the, the death knights the or the, yeah. the his the i think it yeah the fear knights soldiers and and so he like knew that alexander was captured he knew that alexander had stayed behind to save all those people um and like alexander had even like you know befriended him and like but he does spoke out for him for darrow but he does refer to him as a zealot he was like he's oh, he like does. He says that, that he said most of them, most of the other soldiers were just following orders, seemed to just be like following chain of command, but other than Alexander and Cameron or one other who seemed to be actual zealots or something like that. I think he viewed him as just like worshiping Darrow rather than like, okay. which I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I Darrow would spend time to try to flip someone, but in that situation where it was more life or death and there's not time to flip the person, you know? Mm-hmm. and yeah so and there's like history obviously between alexander and lysander and that they were like they knew each other from before so yeah so i i feel like that's a darrow move like his whole infiltration and escape and everything i feel like that was very darrow-esque yeah maybe darrow would make because i guess lysander didn't have like a long he didn't have a long time to try and flip alexander yeah. to his cause so i i guess i could see darrow making that decision i think We've talked a lot about Lysander. He's definitely one of the most interesting characters in yeah. um, in the saga. And whether you like him or you hate him, and if you're like me, you started off liking him, and at the end of this book, are probably closer to hating him. <laughs> let's talk, I guess, let's move on to Mustang. Because Mustang has a lot, yeah. uh, Virginia has a lot of very interesting developments. I think it's... It, she's interesting her relationship with Darrow because we see at the beginning of this book is she essentially asks Darrow to trust her right she's yeah. like you know like you're doing everything you can trust me to do what I can with the senate and so she's doing like all of her political maneuverings she's like sending aid to Darrow uh like by way of those cannons like those rail guns. Um, yeah. And one of the most devastating parts of the book happens, which is, is it the day of red doves? Is that what it's called? I think that's called. Yeah. Which 
you I I I, I could sense something was gonna happen. Something bad yeah. Yeah. was going to happen. Honestly, what I thought it was gonna be, I thought that Daxo was the yeah. person behind it because he seemed like he didn't really care about democracy. Yeah, he didn't care about democracy. He he was he likes I mean he he's best friends with he's best friends with Virginia, but I thought there would be like some other motivation revealed, kind of like like he he realized that democracy was a failure and he kind of needed to make his own version of the society or I don't know. Yeah. So the whole time I was expecting him to like, you know, there to be this moment where suddenly he would betray Virginia. And so that's kind of why I was like so shocked where when basically they they behead him, don't they? Yeah, they like saw off his head. Yeah, it yeah. was it it's was brutal. brutal. And I mean, that's after they killed Dancer, you know, yeah. like you think that <laughs> I mean, Virginia thinks that, you know, they've they've kind of figured it out. They've got their they finally got like the majority they need. And then suddenly dancer is poisoned and dies and that's when you know something is seriously wrong and then later on like all the other people who are like loyal to loyal to darrow like theodora and like some of the other i i can't remember i think it's i think some members other members of the arcos family they're basically like crushed beneath this huge stone it was just awful this felt very, very Game of Thrones, like the uh, the sparrow riling up the crowds, you know? Yeah. I uh, I didn't think it was going to be Daxo. I thought it was going to be the Silvers. I thought maybe she had, like, pushed the Silvers too far because, like, she did that, uh-huh. like, kind of a threat, you know? Yeah. And I, and I was thinking, oh, maybe she, like, thinks she, like, did the right move there, but it was too much or something like that. But like you said, you could tell something was coming even though there was so much triumph and you saw her like just masterfully like figure out all the plots, piece it all together, come up with a better like uh, strategy on the fly. Like it was really cool to see her brain work. And I think it really mm-hmm. characterizes uh, Virginia in a really well done way of like, she is just as apt as Darrow is in her own right. Like she's no slump when it comes to being a soldier, but also like has this amazing tactical mind with people. Yeah. Um, side note, I loved getting inside her head and, and seeing how much of the jackal is in her, you know, mm-hmm. like in her like recognition of that. That was really cool. But like you said, you it, like all this stuff is like, this is too happy. Too many things feel tied up. You could tell something's going to happen, even though everything's so happy. And so even though you know something bad's going to happen, the tension, like waiting to see how the bad thing happens and what it is, was it was so compelling to read mm-hmm. that part man and then and like yeah. with the bone hunters being released yeah now this might be a controversial opinion i i guess i'll just have to hear what you think but i was kind of disappointed that they cloned adrius and brought him back because yeah i thought that he was a, an amazing villain in the first red rising trilogy and so when he was cloned it kind of feels like they're you know recycling him it, mm-hmm. al- it almost feels like they're bringing a character back from being dead it's like avatar 2 a little bit <laughs> if you've seen that wait oh like the blue people avatar yeah oh yeah that? yeah yeah. okay i i get i i get the reference the, there's a now. there's a cloning bit yeah, in that yeah, one yeah. too which you're like for avatar i feel like it worked and that it's not the same it's different you know and added new elements to it this one they have the potential to do that but they're uh the abomination isn't on screen long enough to like really know Mm -hmm. that this is like i think this plot point was everything up to this point with virginia was amazing and i think it starts to uh like fall off a little bit and that this was the one i was critiquing that it it, things just seem to wrap up too too easily the -hmm. conflict like she escapes too fast I thought she was going to like, there's going to be an extended conflict of her um, incapacitated by the syndicate and everything. Yeah. But back to your original point, I was first disappointed that Lilith was the syndicate queen. 
mostly yeah. because I had completely forgotten about her and not uh-huh. forgotten about her as in like, oh, I didn't see this coming, but like, oh, she was that big of she a character. She was a fairly minor character. Yeah. And and I had in my head predicted already who the syndicate queen was, and it was Cassius's mom. Because they like uh, barely mention her earlier in this book or the previous book. And I'm like, I bet that's what she's doing. She's like pissed off, been... trying to get revenge on everything that happened to her family, taking down the society and the Republic. Yeah. But that would have been a good a good angle to go. Whereas like, you know, yeah. a fairly minor bone hunter who like we don't even really like we see her a little bit in the first Red Rising. And then I feel like we she just doesn't get like much screen time enough for her to be like for you to understand she's like a conniving villain and i guess it makes yeah. sense because adrius was ultimately the one calling the shots which yeah. was which was how like the syndicate kind of became as uh threatening as it was i mean with with the adrius clone though like i, I guess i do like that the fact that Virginia can recognize that there are differences between the clone and mm. and her brother. Yeah. And and it's because of how how they were both raised whereas like the original Adrius was raised with a father who never gave him the love that he needed and and that kind of mm-hmm. like ruined him. This Adrius is or the Adrius clone was raised with like very creepy like mother lover figure who like you know and the bone hunters who like worship him but he kind of like hates them and and so i think that it could be interesting if they do more to different if if like in future books more is done to differentiate the clone adrius from the original adrius augustus i agree um i think something that um bothers me about clone clone plot points in a lot of uh fiction is it's either they're exactly the same like they have all the memories which is kind of what avatar did yeah even though like there was a little bit of a like it made sense contextually like it's like then you're just doing a copy or it's either they have all the same memories they're basically the same or even if they don't have the same memories they act exactly the same when like your upbringing Mm -hmm. like nurture has such a huge impact on who you are like it wouldn't be that thing and so that was a cool thing to point out um in this book is virginia noticed um not only was she able to like manipulate him but she was able to do it because she recognized how he would be different under the different circumstances and yeah i think that's i would be really disappointed if his plot going forward is basically he's the jackal and then there's a power struggle between him and lilith because or or something like that you know what i mean i want him to be his own character own personality like he shouldn't have the same personality as the jackal he should be Mm -hmm. he should be different yeah and and ideally like his own goals as well you know yeah maybe not just like pure evil like the other adrius but like maybe there's some good in him too yeah there's like he can't be pure evil at 10 and and he's you can see that he kind of like craves like the love of his sister still because I guess maybe that like she's she's kind of been he sees her as like his equal okay I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a prediction all right this this is a this isn't so much a prediction as I think this is for sure gonna happen but this is a cool thing that could happen is what if he becomes like a a surrogate child type like Virginia is like a surrogate mom relationship uh to the cloned Adrius at some point I think that would be interesting and she like because she recognizes the jackal in her and the jackal potential in him, and she's able to neutralize it and raise him to be um, the best he. I mean, I I could kind of see that, except for like how things ended between them in this book, which was basically where she, I forget what I, I feel like she's like the real Adrius, like wouldn't have made this mistake or something like that, and then right, like almost kills him and then escapes. Yeah, I I wasn't sure. Did she just like incapacitate him or was that like a permanent it, damage It was, thing? I think, like a poison. I'm sure it's like curable. I'm sure it's not going to kill him. If they introduce him like that and then just kill him, that would be disappointing. Yeah. And the last thing I just want to say about Mustang is that she fails. Like Darrow, you know, yeah. she tells Darrow to trust her and she fails to get Darrow the help he needs, which is just, you know, sets up 
how down things are for the republic they're in a pretty pretty bad predicament i think it was it was an interesting an interesting plot point where like you know in their relationship she's like darrow i need you to trust me and darrow's like okay yeah and then then she doesn't pull through and like almost like no fault of her own you know she did figure it out like i don't feel like it's her she failed him as as much as really this the republic failed him you know they're Mm -hmm. the ones who who stopped it but but yeah and that that makes such good drama where like she she did everything right you know she figured it all out but still it wasn't she she can't control everything so yeah but that was i was a little disappointed with just how that ended like she just escapes through her tube and then Mm -hmm. cavix comes flies her away it was it it was kind of like there wasn't like an extended like chapters long interaction like you know mental back and forth between her and the abomination it was more yeah it was like they meet yeah and talk a little bit and then she gets out of there and it wasn't like not only does she escape from him but she escapes and she's basically back in her same position she was before you know it now, obviously she's changed and like grown and like the like the playing field is different but it would have even been different if she escaped but then she was like stuck as like in hiding on luna or something like that you know what i mean like mm-hmm. but she's already back as sovereign again so yeah this point. let's move on to the next viewpoint i want to talk about uh ephraim next because i think that he is he was kind of disappointed disappointing in iron gold but i really liked him in this book he, he's like he's a gray but i think he's also like a very gray character but nice uh so i i I liked him i liked his his time with 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 training the skoogie and like getting to know the obsidians uh, a, a bit more and like you see like through his perspective you see what sefi wants the obsidian to become and yeah and her vision's cool yeah yeah it's really cool and you're like wow this is great like i understand why they're not helping out the republic because they're trying to do they're trying to do their best and like they're trying to be better than just like war machines just like throwing themselves and and killing and a little i don't know frustrating is the right word that the way they did it that the way her plan would work out would be to basically separate and steal things you know um to establish themselves rather than just integrate with the society with the republic but yeah but i mean you you saw how the republic had treated them yeah and and i think sefi sefi was pretty pretty smart and so which which is all the more surprising like so ephraim he's he he's kind of selfish up to this point he like looks after himself and um he he cares i guess a little bit about lyria and a lot about volga volga which is why it's so surprising at the end where he decides to um go back to to help sefi right i I, why exactly does he choose i i I forget why does he go back to sefi at the end of this book yeah well wasn't it to because he found out about xenophon right xenophon oh is that okay i think he finds out that xenophon betrayed her to the oscamani which that was another that was the plot point i mentioned in my non-spoiler review of it's kind of weird that they just introduced this concept and all of a sudden it's a big plot point. I wish there could have been like the, that could have been the Oskamani concept. Yeah. Yeah. Was that even introduced in Iron Gold or was that just this book? I think they talk a little bit about Oskamani in Iron Gold. Iron Gold. I think it wasn't unique to this book. Okay. But yeah, he finds out that Xenophon was the liaison there, not okay. um um Oscar Osgard. And so he goes back to I think it was essentially to get like a confession out of Xenophon and like show it to Sefi. So that way Sefi could get rid of him and not like not be betrayed, but it was too late. Yeah. And I don't know. I really liked Ephraim and uh, Iron Gold. He was one of the POVs I liked reading from. Um, I think he's an inch. I always thought he was an interesting character and I thought he was much more interesting in this book. I see. I thought he was interesting at the end of Iron Gold. He just took a long time to get there. 
but his viewpoint at the end was just like another another part of the book where you're like <laughs> oh my gosh because volsung fa literally comes challenges sefi yeah. and then literally like kills her like by I don't, like ripping open her back and then like eating her heart and so this is ephraim ephraim has come to like warn her right and yeah. then this happens and then ephraim is like okay like I'm going to give my life to kill Volsung Fa. Mm-hmm. And then he does. And then it doesn't even work. Yeah, and the last like, thing you see, the last thing you see is Volsung Fa ripping out Ephraim's heart and eating and it. Eating it. And yeah. you're like, like, there is no hope left, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The Oscamani were a really cool idea. My only, my only critique there is just the build to them, but I like the idea of, like Volsam Fa is just a really intimidating presence. Like he's mm-hmm. he was done really well to just be horrifying and like like no idea how to defeat him. And then I like the idea that Askamani is being like evolved out in like outer space, so they look different. They're more alien looking, and yeah, I'm excited to see where that goes moving mm-hmm. forward. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I, thinking about. I guess Efren didn't do much. Like he did the training, and then he had the fun fight where he was on the mushrooms or whatever while he was fighting. <laughs> that was that was great. Where yeah. I, I felt like I, I think because he met up with that like shaman mm-hmm. and the shaman was like, you know, he was talking about how he was basically like a fraud his whole life. Yeah. And then he's like, and I finally had a vision and I was like totally sober. And then the shaman like tells him about this prophecy. And you're like, oh wow, this is like this is like gonna be work out. Like Ephraim's gonna be a hero, Sefi's gonna like realize this awesome vision. And then I think maybe that's why it's like so shocking there at the end where Bolsung Fog basically comes and and I still think the the vision is going to to come to fruition, just not in the way that that shaman thought it was. You think so? I don't think it is. I think well, it was so he, he talked about like a gray fox like across the sky that was Ephraim Mm -hmm. and like I think an obsidian queen or something like that I think the the gray fox is got to be one of the telemonuses because they have Sophocles and they're the fox is like their family like emblem Mm -hmm. I think that uh Volga is probably going to be the the obsidian queen so I don't know I I think it's how do you think the vision works within the the world building though? I don't know. It, I mean that that part's kind of weird because there hasn't really been any supernatural thing like yeah. that whereas yeah. it seems a little out of place in this context. Yeah, the only thing I can think is maybe whatever the parasite that Lyria has. Oh yeah. Maybe something like that, maybe some like extra solar thing. Speaking of, like that part that was like the during the prison breakout and then Oscamani yeah. come and then the parasite like that was some sci-fi horror right there. <laughs> Lyria had a crazy story, right? Yeah, like, I love how. Oh, go ahead. Well, she's traveling on this ship with like a bounty hunter and um, Volga, and then yeah, the Oscamani come. Anyways, I, I it, it it's been it was pretty crazy. What were you gonna say? I love how her first like page is about how she's recognized that she has only been a victim and has never acted for herself. And now she's finally going to act. I feel like that was definitely inspired by a note from Pierce Brown's editor. Like, look, dude, you had this POV in iron gold and she did nothing. Like everything (laughs) just happened to her. She didn't do anything herself. And he's like, Oh, you're right. I'll fix this. And like nailed it. I, I loved her POV in this book. And I loved like the, the dynamic between her Volga and uh, Victra, like so uh-huh. complex and so cool to see them like empower each other while still kind of like hating each other and then forging that friendship. That was, yeah. that was really well done. Victra is like a really cool character. She, you know, she, she embodies like a lot of the typical gold values, but mm-hmm. she's also like kind of like a little crazy, like Severo way crazy. She's nuts yeah i guess she is she's a little bit more than a little (laughs) Uh, um 
but I mean, their, their perspective, like how much, like, I, I, Honestly, I, I probably wouldn't have cared as much about taking down Harmony if it wasn't for what happened to Ulysses. That was like, you know, just gut wrenching. I was like hoping against all hope that like Ulysses, you know, somehow didn't die. I was like, this is a baby, Pierce Brown. Like, yeah, you can't. I know. Do this I had to, to re- I had to rewind and listen to that again. I was like, wait, what? Like. And not even like, like clearly killed them. Yeah. Killed him. Like, yeah. And and, and like a, a gruesome, like fairly yeah. gruesome way. It, and I think it might have hit you and me. Like, well, a lot of people, I, I think it hits a yeah. lot of people hard. But both you and I have had children within the last six months. Yeah. And so it's like, you know what like a newborn baby is like. Yeah. And I don't it, it's just yeah that was the most brutal thing I think he's ever written yeah it, it was a little much it was a lot um uh, but I mean it was effective at making you hate harmony and wanting her to die yeah I and it comes after such a cool like birth moment with Victra and uh Lyria like I thought that was really well done and like a cool bonding scene um mm-hmm. and it shows like her like a lot of Victor's philosophy, which is flawed, like we talked about, like you have to be strong, like no matter what. I think my biggest gripes with her is like her disproportionate punishment and like anger at Lyria. Or like, yeah. I think the anger is fine. Like you can't always be rational with who you're mad at in an emotional situation like that. But like the punishment she was meeting out, like didn't make any, did not line up at all. Like, but I think she, I honestly think like if she were a real person, she just is not all the way sane. Yeah. <laughs> but she happens to be on the good people's teams, and she's also like fiercely loyal, like with a capital F. And so we'll just go crazy mm-hmm. to defend those who are hers. Yeah. But yeah, I also I I kind of forgot about this. The harmony thing that also kind of seemed like she can't be dead. She's not dying to those pit vipers, right? Like it seemed too yeah. easy yeah, and kind of like fell into their lap. Like, I feel like the harmony thing, like, fell out, like, it's like, okay, now you're on this planet, and the red hand is here, or the, what is it, is it the bloody hand? Something like know. that, red hand. Yeah, I don't know, I feel like that kind of just fell into their laps. It's like, we just escaped, and now I guess this is what we're doing for the rest of it, and yeah, I, I would be disappointed. Like, if that's harmony, harmony is ends. a loose end that hasn't been tied up. And let's just so, tie it up, yeah. yeah. But I guess she, I mean, she hasn't really done anything, right? Yeah, like, not really since, yeah, not really, not since really since she... starting Lyria's plot, you know, mm-hmm. and Iron Gold. But, I mean, the most interesting part of Lyria's plot, I think we can agree on, is, you know, the parasite that she gets from Figment. I mean, it's like... Yeah, that's cool. Well, yeah. What? But, like, what is it? That seems like almost, like, a little a little too sci-fi for this sci-fi series it's way more sci-fi than yeah it has me thinking it's like got me thinking of the expanse or alien and it's like wait are we are we saying now that there's life outside of earth and or like outside of earth origins you know or is this Mm -hmm. or is this my theories or maybe not theories but like my my guesses are like, did the Oscamani discover this at some point, like being out in like deeper space or yeah. is, or is it something else that like Octavia knew about and was experimenting on kind of like her mind spikes and chair and stuff like that. And uh-huh. somehow Figment got a hold of it or, cause it kind of felt like a bioweapon, you know? So maybe it was bioengineered, but I don't know. Was it really like, I mean, I guess maybe a bioweapon, like it seemed like, like figment was doing some doing some crazy things like yeah and and because of the parasite and so I, I guess, like yeah it, it seems like lyria what my hope is for this is that lyria would like somehow use this to become like i don't know like uh, kind of like a cool bounty hunter like figment you know have like these almost supernatural abilities yeah, I think that's where Lyria is going to go. I think the reason I, it might be engineered is just the interface, you know, like that seems 
Yeah, that's true. That seems like, constructed rather than like a an organic, completely yeah. organic origin. Yeah, the things that the figment was carried around, carrying around. And just how she's like trying to get the, the figment parasite to do something and it's like deactivated or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see where that's going. I thought that was a fun addition. But yeah, if it is truly alien life, that does kind of change the scope of Red Rising a lot. I know. It's, <laughs> it is totally different. Because like, although Red Rising like takes place with spaceships in space, it like Basically doesn't... fantasy. Yeah, right? it doesn't doesn't have a huge sci-fi feel. Yeah, it's like, it's it kind of rides the line like Dune does, where it's like sci-fi fantasy, but leans in more to like Greco-Roman fantasy. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Dude, speaking of the the storm god in, introduction, that was so cool. That was I loved that. Like and with like, what do you mean the um like the cloud coming? Yeah, when you first see the storm coming and you're they're like, what is this? How's the storm happening? And then yeah, Lysander's like, it's got to be Darrow. And it's like, how would it be Darrow? He's like the storm gods. And I'm like storm god what's a storm god you know <laughs> like so into this. i'm like is like is lysander like being superstitious or and then and then like uh dang what's her name like orion orion like, yeah like going nuts and oh man i i thought that was a really cool idea for terraforming a world and then also uh-huh. added some really good plot tension and like i think that's a big motivation for why lysander is still against darrow is like i can't like he can't be like the solution because he slaughtered so many innocent people you know like he has no like the ends justify the means it's frustrating as a reader because you're like darrow like knew like he gave instructions and like he ended up killing orion like to like try and prevent as much damage so like he was utilizing it but like with every intention to um to like honor the agreement he had with yeah uh, with like the guy who helped him fix it what yeah. was his name the master maker yeah i can't remember his name uh gliss glue yeah i want to say sophocles i know that's not it that's the fox <laughs> and and so it was frustrating when 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 lysander's like oh my gosh Darrow's so bloodthirsty he'll win at any cost you're like no he didn't mean to do that and then at the same time like the i i think that's why the the master maker like kind of ends up going with mm-hmm. Lysander is because like Darrow supposedly broke that, uh, that agreement they had. So it was like kind of yeah. frustrating, but yeah, I, I do understand like why you, you have to give like Lysander some motivation to hate Darrow. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think Darrow is to blame a little bit. Like he, yeah, like he knew true. who I, Orion was and like, you're bringing something that powerful into the battle like with mm-hmm. that chance of like you know some of that uh responsibility is on him but at the same time like is lysander blaming is he truly holding the society um i don't do you see that is that recording I see it. what is that that's like Did a you... new mac os thing that if like it'll like do an auto react as well if you do this i didn't that's even realize funny. it's doing it um I don't know. I don't know the purpose of it because you're already seeing my thumbs up. You know, like you're already seeing my actual thumb give the thumbs up. Why does it need a bubble to do it as well? (laughs) I don't know. Um, (laughs) But is is Lysander truly holding the society to the same standard he's holding Darrow to? You know, like the Fear Knight who I thought it was really cool actually getting to know the Fear Knight and seeing his, his brand of honor where he's like, my job is to end this war and to save lives by doing these atrocities. I'm saving lives. So like, mm. that's just what it is. Um, I thought that was, I like him a lot now. <laughs> Fear Knight. Like he went from being just this sadistic boogeyman, like, like the worst the society has to offer to being, nah, he's actually like probably one of the best they have to offer. He, he and Darrow, I think have a lot in common. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And so like, I don't think Lysander holds the fear knight to the same standard he's holding Darrow. Mm-hmm. Granted, he doesn't have all the information with Darrow as well, but anyways. Yeah. Uh, one quick uh, moment, like one of my favorite parts of the book was when Lysander, Lysander kind of like talks basically about like meeting Darrow in battle 
and it was like you know darrow is like this god of war that just like sweeps through and like destroys like lysander's whole squad like leaves lysander dying on the ground and then lysander's perspective ends and the next chapter it's darrow and darrow's like we brushed away light resistance yeah i was like yeah that was so that was so great i was like (laughs) dang that that is one of the things that you get from like multiple perspectives that you don't get from just like one perspective yeah yeah but it was also kind of frustrating at the end when like you know after you see darrow as like this god of war and then lysander's like able to outmaneuver darrow and Mm -hmm. like stab him and and or basically like i i understand it's symbolic but like break his razor and like best darrow and basically make darrow like hightail it and you know have to be saved and get out of there yeah i think i think darrow was operating more in emotion than lysander was during that battle yeah with finally recognizing lysander's there which how did he how did he figure it out again trying to remember was it was it a poetry thing i don't remember but like losing alexander and like i think he was just acting like too emotional like which is why he accepted that joust (laughs) essentially Uh even though he got away like that was such a dumb move like he totally lost there it was like his pride yeah he's like well i think he i think he was his reasoning was like if i kill lysander now it will like end the any threat that he will pose whereas like if i don't he'll kind of become like this figurehead and his like you know his reputation will grow and he'll become a much greater threat later that was his reasoning but i i agree that it was kind of dumb an emotional decision yeah what and i'm not saying like stupid darrow i'm just saying like it makes sense that lysander wins at the end just because Mm -hmm. of how darrow's operating um i just googled it he recognized lysander saying truth overall in his sleep or something that's how uh in his sleep yeah that's what reddit says (laughs) i don't remember that but I don't remember that either. I remember him recognizing something he said as being something he learned from Octavia or something like that. Huh. Yeah, I don't I don't recognize that. Well, I mean, that's pretty much I think we did a good job covering covering. Yeah. There was so much that happened in this book. Big thing, Cassius comes back. Oh yeah. That's it. That's all we have. Hopefully hopefully it feels earned. I'm I'm waiting to feel on that. But yeah. That's true. Cassius is back. Um, I I can't forget. Do they give all the details of how he comes back? I think Mustang says that he escaped somehow. Like he escaped their prison, stole his ship, and flew to Cavix. And then Cavix filled him in on what was happening and sent him to Mercury. But I mean, I I suspected, given the fact that you don't see Cassius die. You're just yeah. kind of told he's dead. I was like, he's probably not dead. I thought he was probably dead. I was like, okay, you don't see his body, but he's probably when, dead. When Cavix was like, I sent I sent an agent to go help Darrow, like to get him out there if, if he needs to. And then um, what did he say? It's like, he's the same agent that brought us word that the rim was joining yeah. the core. I was like, oh, it's got to be Cassius. That that's when I was like, oh, like at that point, yeah. But yeah. before that, I had like before before that, you're like he's dead. Yeah, but because of that, that's why I'm like, uh, dancer can't be dead, right? <laughs> we didn't see her die. <laughs> we we did see dancer. Oh, harmony, you mean? Or harmony? Sorry, I don't know. Falling into a thing of pit vipers versus somebody just saying, yeah, they died of their wounds. Uh, she's the red. She can take some pit viper poison. Okay, all right. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. We covered a lot. Yeah, we covered a lot. That's going to be a wrap of our review of Dark Age. It's Jake's favorite book in Red Rising so far. Clearly, I don't think clearly, clearly. I don't think it's my favorite, but I think it, it it's definitely up there and I couldn't put it down. And this is like a pretty hefty book. Like I was up late listening to it, like, you know, uh, listening to the audio book. I, I like couldn't go to sleep, which is unusual you know anyways it's a fantastic book if you have listened this far and you haven't read it i hope you do because you're missing out if you don't 
yeah, give it a read. Push through Iron Gold. Maybe just read it on Wikipedia. I don't know. Maybe not. But definitely read Dark Age. So good. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to discuss this with us, join us on our Discord or um, pretty much everywhere else on social media. We're on like Twitter, Instagram. I don't think we have a Facebook. <laughs> we do. Oh, okay. We have Facebook too. Yeah, I think. <laughs> comment on comment on the, this uh, YouTube video if that's the format you're you're watching this on. And until next time, I'm Ryan and this is Jake. Bye.